As we continue this morning in our series, What We Believe, I hope that you've been encouraged as we looked at who God is, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The reality is, though, that apart from God's Word, uh, we don't really know those aspects of God. We saw, and we'll look again this, this morning, about the fact of creation and what creation reveals to us about who God is. But when it comes to the specifics of who God is, apart from His Word, we really wouldn't know. Uh, more and more in the world we live in, we have to understand what we believe. We have to understand certain biblical truths, foundational truths of, and I emphasize foundational because if we don't understand these truths and we don't know them with 100% certainty, when things happen in the world, when people make objections to things such as the reliability of God's word, then that foundation begins to rumble. And the more it rumbles and, and we can stop it, that foundation will crack. And once that foundation cracks, everything else falls apart. And so as we go through this series, what we believe, what we're really doing is we're looking at the Baptist faith and message. Uh, and you can look that up on the, online, and there's actually two of them. And what we're going to talk about today and for the next two Sundays is the reason why there's two of them. Uh, we would emphasize the Baptist faith message of 2000, which was really a, a, you wouldn't think it would be this way in Southern Baptist churches, a debate over the inerrancy of God's word, the infallibility of God's word, that they, we wanted the word inerrancy in there, and, and it's, it's a big deal. That once we say that this is not all God's word, or once we say that this is, uh, parts of it are true and parts of it aren't, and we, we pick and choose, it all falls apart. So either it's all true or it's not true at all. We don't get to pick and choose. And so uh, as we go through these next three Sundays, we'll look at bits and pieces. We'll kind of, again, this Sunday, take a, an overlooking of it, that, what, that yet we'll still put in some great pieces of evidence to give you some foundational truths that this is true, and we'll build on them in the weeks to come. But I thought the best thing to do this morning is to start with a test. Now, I don't know about you, but the very word test brings back all sorts of bad memories. Uh, and, and, and this type of test even brings back worse memories. It's going to be a multiple choice test. Now, I don't know about you, but there was no such thing as a multiple choice test in my world. It was a multiple guess test, uh, especially when you had A, B, C, D, and E, and A, B, and C were all different, and D was either all the above, E was none of the above, or the, the professor would get real smart, at least in his mind, a, it was like a combination of when you get to A and C or D and E, and you know, I'd always get one right, but then I'd read those, and I'm like, ah, and about 90% of the time, you all take notes here, 90% of the time I change it, I got it wrong. And so we're going to do a little test here this morning. Now up here we have all sorts of things. We have my very first Bible as a kid, and it's showing its age. Um, and even has the very first house that I grew up in. And I'm just going to be honest with you. When I was a kid in church, uh, I didn't really understand what the preacher was preaching about. Or, to be honest, I, I couldn't, I can't sit still today either, but I couldn't sit still then. So what I did, I took this thing, and I just, I would just thumb through. Now, I couldn't read. Uh, sometimes I don't know if I can still read today. But I just, I would just thumb through and I'd look at the pictures. And I, you know, and I think that's good. You know, because if you thumb through this Bible, a lot of the major stories are in here in picture form. And as a kid, I sit here and look them and I start imagining. And I may not be thinking about a word the preacher's saying, but yet 
I'm sitting here all these stories that I knew as a child. And so we have, we have this one. We have a, a, a Gideon's pocket New Testament. Um, you know, here's, here's uh, the New King James Version Bible that I have. Uh, and here, here's the one I preach from. Here's my phone, and we have this one. Uh, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a, we're going to have a test, multiple guest test. You can only vote for one, okay? Which one is most appropriate to preach from? All right? How about this one? How about this one? No votes? How about this one? Goodness. How about this one? All right, now we got some votes. How about this one? This is the one I use every Sunday. That's not appropriate to preach from. How about this one? We got a few. How many didn't vote? Man, you're all, how about all? There you go. See, I just set you up. Here's the reality is, what makes up the Word of God? What makes up the Bible? God's words, right? How many of you brought your scrolls with you this morning? We get so upset in the first service. In fact, this one's not even a Bible, by the way. It looks like a Bible, but it's not even a Bible. In the first service, we had a bunch of people vote for that. Uh, but in, in this service, there's so much peer pressure, y'all didn't vote, so don't laugh at them. But the reality is, it's the words of God that make up the Bible. And so whether it's on a scroll as it originally was, whether it's in a bound book, or whether it's on an electronic device, it's God's word. And we just need people to read it. God's word is living and active. It is alive. It is infallible, as we'll see this Sunday and in Sundays to come. You know, and the reality is that we live in a world that is nothing but a test that our beliefs are constantly tested. And if you, we've all gone into a test where we weren't very well prepared with the, what we should have studied and we go in there and, or it's a totally different test than what we thought, and you know that feeling? Well, compound that by a hundredfold if you're not foundly firm on the certain biblical foundational principles that if you don't understand when the world pressure comes around you, you are going to crumble. And so we've got to understand these things. We need to understand that this is not just a book of stories and fables or as I'm going to do tomorrow, I'm going to bury a good friend of mine. And I'm not just going to use this to, to help his family feel good. I'm going to use this to tell them the truth. That he is in heaven with Jesus. And the reason I know that is because I know this is true. And the reason I know that is because I saw the evidence in his life that he came to Christ. I saw the change in his life. I saw him give his testimony over and over and over in the county that we are in. You know, as he struggled not once, not twice, but three times with stage four lung cancer, and God healed him three or four times. And then last week, God took him home. Praise God, I know where he is. While that's going to be the most difficult funeral service I have ever done, I stand on the promises that are in this word because I know it is true. And there's many people in our world today, probably many of you here today, that aren't convinced that this is true. You're not convinced that from cover to cover it is 100% truth. People say, you know what, that's just a bunch of fables. It's a bunch of stories. I mean, Noah's Ark, are you kidding me? God killed all, you know, the, all the world except for a few in the flood, and, and the animals two by two got on this big boat. Are you kidding me? No, 
There's all kind of evidence for it if you would look for it. And you look at some of the stories in here, walking on water and different things, and you go, a lot of people go, there's no way that can be true. Or some people like to pick things. Well, the New Testament is good, but the Old Testament, well, I don't know about that stuff. You know, I'm telling you what, when you look at this from cover to cover, and as we'll see in a moment, even how God chose to give us this word, it is absolutely amazing. And my desire for you, really God's desire for you, is to know with 100% certainty that this is truth, all truth, not bits and pieces of it. Because here's the reality. If some of it is true and some of it is false, what does that say about God? If God is God, if God is almighty and all-powerful and has all knowledge, don't you think he could do things to preserve his word so that we would know that it's true, both intellectually and in our souls, that it is true? I believe he's given us that evidence. You know, it's interesting that this is the best-selling book of all time. Why is that? It's amazing to me that people want to read the word of God. We believe that this is God's word, that it is infallible, that it was written, yes, by the hands of men, but it was inspired by God. And so as we go through these next few weeks, I want to give you some proofs, some evidences for you to wrestle with yourselves that it's amazing how God has made it so that we can understand the truth of this. The first is this, the first piece of evidence that it was written by man. Now you might say, well, Dave, that's a little bit counterintuitive, isn't it? That if it was written by man, how could it be God? Well, track with me for a second that God used 40 different men to write 66 different books in three different languages over a 1,500-year period of time that has central themes all throughout, the biggest of which is Jesus, that is from Genesis to Revelations. Now, consider that with me for a moment, that in contrast to other books, the Book of Mormon being one and the Quran being another, where one guy says they had this special revelation from God in addition to the Bible, that this God gave them this special revelation. I don't know if you're familiar with how Joseph Smith got the Book of Mormon, but here's what he claims. He claims God gave him the Book of Mormon letter by letter by letter. Nobody else knows this because he would always have himself covered up either with some sort of a small blanket or a big hat and different things, and he would always call out to a scribe who was somewhere behind him that couldn't see, and he used this stone, it's called a Syrian stone, and I would say, for our understanding, the best thing that we could relate it to is like a Ouija board that moves around from letter to letter to letter, and it would move from letter to letter, and he called out, and somebody would scribe it down. Well, here's the interesting thing, if you really start studying the Book of Mormon, there's, there's two books in there that are word for word, all the way down to the translation errors, uh, the King James Version of the day. Now, that doesn't make any sense if it's a new inspired word from God, does it? Even if that wasn't there, consider one guy who says he heard from God this divine revelation with 40. Not only 40 guys, but 40 guys that lived over a 1,500-year period of time that when you put all that together, it so intertwines with the themes of God, it's without contradiction, and you see the themes from Genesis to Revelation. Which one do you think is more reliable, the guy who says he got a word, or 44 men who wrote down the words of God? That as we put them together, we see the theme of who God is. We see God's wrath. We see God's justice, we see God's mercy, his grace, his redemptive plan to, to save us from his wrath. We see that all throughout the word of God. And so when you look at the fact that God chose man, 
And not only did he choose men, you look at the men who he chose. They were from all different walks of life, different portions of the world, different educational backgrounds from, from prophets and kings to fishermen and tax collectors. I mean, you look at all this. It doesn't make any sense who he chose to write the word of God. And you put all that together. To me, it is absolutely amazing that it's even without error. Consider this, if we took the five best authors in, in the church and we, we partnered them with the five best um, researchers and statisticians in the church, and, and I, I don't care for this athlete, but let's just say since the, the basketball just ended, LeBron James. We're going to do research on LeBron James and his whole career. And we, we, they have access to all the same information. What are the odds that there's not going to be one contradiction in those five reports? It's really slim to none, right? It, you, somewhere, somehow, there's going to be a contradiction, whether it's points scored or this stat or that stat or whatever. And yet, the technology we have today to look at all those things is amazing. And so when you put 44, 40 authors over, with 66 books over period 1,500-year period of time, and you combine that together, and you go, what are the odds that there's not a contradiction? It's amazing when you start looking at that. And so not only do we have the word of God that's written by man, it is inspired by God. And so when we, you got to ask yourself this. What do we mean inspired by God? Well, if you look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, you guys probably have memorized this verse. It says that all scripture is breathed out by God. It's God breathed, meaning that God it, you know, put it into the hearts of men what to write. You know, and it's, it's profitable for all sorts of things, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete. Other version says, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That God, the creator of the universe, so inspired man with different personalities, different educational backgrounds to write down his words over a 1,500-year period of time so that we would have what we have today. Why did he do this? Have you ever considered that? He did it so that we would know who he is, that the creator of the universe would reveal himself to us, that God wants to reveal himself. The word revelation means an unveiling or disclosure of something that, that we wouldn't other, otherwise know. God is letting us know who he is. That we, We've looked at this before, the idea of general revelation, that we are, just because of the way God has created the world and the universe and the details of it, general revelation is enough to send us to hell, really. In Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6, here's a very familiar passage that says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens themselves declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims His handiwork. I don't know about you, I don't know how many people have ever gone on a hike up in the mountains, the Rocky Mountains or somewhere, at nighttime, and just found a meadow and laid back and looked up into the sky. When there's no lights around, and all you see is the stars, and you, you can even see, you know, the shooting stars flying across the, the heavens declare the gloriousness and the majesty of God just looking at the stars how did that happen day by day he pours out speech night by night he reveals knowledge there is no speech nor are there words whose voice are not heard their voice goes out to all the world and the world the words I lost my place to the end of the world in them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving its chamber. And a light, a strong man, runs its course with joy. It's rising from the end of the heavens, and its circuits to the end of them. 
There is nothing hidden from his heat. Just the sun itself declares the majesty of God. God has created the world in a way, and he's created us in a way that we'd have these intelligent minds to discover things and discover truths. You look at science, and you even look at micro and molecular biology, and you look at the details of all these cells, and it just is astounding. The only way you can come to the conclusion that it happened by chance is to start with the premise that there is no God. And if anybody tells you they, they're looking at science with a blank slate, most of them are lying because they come in with a certain premise that either God exists or God doesn't exist, and they go down a certain path because of it. But if you come in with a blank slate and just look at the detail of things, you'd conclude that there was at least a greater being that created this. And so just in creation alone, God has said in his word that that's enough to, to hold us accountable. In Romans 1, verse 18 and 20, says, For the wrath of God is revealed against heaven. And against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. I mean, think about scientists. Think about those that, you know, they want to prove that God doesn't exist. In their, un in their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. For what is known about God, it's plain to them because God has shown it to them. God has shown it to all of us because he's wired it in our DNA. Because we are creating the image of God, he has made it plain to them. But they have squelched it. His invisible qualities, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been made known to them. And so just by general revelation alone, we know that there's a creator. We know that there's somebody greater than us. But apart from the Bible, we can't know any more about that. General revelation is not enough for us to have a saving knowledge of Christ. That's where the God's word comes in. And, and we would call this special revelation. I'd say there's two forms of special revelation. One is the word of God, and the second is Jesus Christ himself. And so in the word of God, God reveals himself to us. He reveals his qualities. He gives us all sorts of understandings about who he is and his pursuit of man. Yes, in the Old Testament, he's pursuing Israel, but he's pursuing Israel so that Israel will tell the rest of the world. Uh, you know, and in there, you see all these prophecies. You see God pursuing, God loving, God redeeming, and then ultimately God sending his son to pay the ultimate price so that all the world could have a relationship with him. And so we have the word of God. You know, in, in uh, Hebrews 4, 12, it, you know, it, says, it says this, for the word of God, it is living and active. This is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing uh, to the division of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and discerning, discerning the hearts and intentions of the heart. This is alive and active. That's why we need to just get people to read it for themselves. It is God's word, and he can do what it needs to do on its own. If we would just get people to read it. But you know why people don't read it? Because most people don't think it's true. They think bits and pieces are true. They've heard all these lies from people that make logical sense, but they can't wrap their minds around. And so God has given us this special revelation in here. But if we don't understand and believe that this is truth, why would we read it in the first place? And so I just wonder how many are here this morning that aren't so convinced about that, that and that's part of the reason they're not reading it. And if you don't believe it's true and you're not reading it, why would you obey it? It makes no sense. We walk around in this world and we get bombarded back and forth about all these things about the Bible and it can't be true. And, and, and then people say, well, I've read the Bible from cover to cover. And, I th you know, and, and we give them credibility because they said they read it from cover to cover. I wonder, did they really? 
Second part of divine revelation is Jesus Christ himself. God in the flesh dwelt among us. He revealed himself to us. when He said, when you see me, you see the Father. That's what he was murdered for in Hebrews 1, you know, chapter, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The, the writer of Hebrews said this, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. Right? So in the Old Testament, God spoke to Israel through the prophets. He gave them words from the prophets. But he says this, in the last day, he has spoken to us through his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things and through him. Catch this now. Here's a link back to the beginning. Through him, he did what? He created the world. And so he's talking about the revelation. We got God's word. We got Jesus Christ. That, and the, the writer of Hebrews, who perhaps was Paul, is saying that um, you know, God has spoken to us now through Jesus Christ, who actually was back in the beginning. Remember last week, we, we connected that, you know, the Holy Spirit and, and the Son, back even to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, you know, we created man in what? Our image. And so you start seeing all these things stack up against one another, and it gives us evidence upon evidence upon evidence. When you look at the Word of God and you see the themes, the redemptive themes all throughout the Word of God, the pursuit of man all throughout the Word of God, it is absolutely amazing to me the proofs that God gives. And we haven't even scratched the surface. In the weeks to come, I'm going to give you more and more and more evidence that what I believe will give you what you need intellectually so that you can know in your soul that this is absolute truth. Tomorrow morning, I'll drive down to Durham. I'll meet with a bunch of people I've never met before. Hundreds of people I expect will be there. Some of whom may know about Jesus, many of whom don't have a relationship with him. You know what? My words will mean nothing. But this right here changes everything. This right here, because of the proof that I am 100% convinced that it is true, when I go to these words and I share with these people who are grieving that their dear loved one, their dear friend, and some of them, there's been all sorts of posts all over the internet about the relationship that this man had with young men who, he, this man lived in poverty because he gave so much of his own belongings to kids in need. I served with him on the football field for years, and you know, to be honest, I didn't know where he stood for the first three, four years. And I kept trying to share the gospel with him. And finally, one day, it was at the 50-yard line, I cornered him. And his story is no different than many people's story. When he was young, in the Baptist church in Durham, North Carolina, he made a profession of faith and he gave his life to Jesus. And he grew. But like so many people, he wandered away from the church. He had some bad experiences of the church and he wandered away and, and he was just kind of out there by himself. And then one of the youth pastors at the church I served at was a chaplain there before I got there and then I kind of came in and was a chaplain there at the school and built this relationship with him. And then he got cancer. When he found out, they said, stage four, there is nothing we can do for you. He only told a few people. The team was in the midst of the state playoffs, made it all the way to the semifinals, 
and he didn't want to tell the team. We cried, we prayed, but we went to the Word of God. I remember the day he called me. He wanted to talk to me, he wanted to go for a ride. I said, Coach, I'll come get you. No, I'll, I'll come get you. He was down to almost 100 pounds. And he's wanting to commit suicide. And I got out the word of God. And I reminded him who God was. I reminded him what God did for him. And what took place after was amazing. The reason it was amazing is because this is true. The reason it is amazing because not only is this true, the, the Holy Spirit that lived in this man in the midst of stage four cancer, in the midst of being at the bottom, and some of you that have had cancer know what I'm talking about, where you're at the bottom and you think death is better than sticking around in this, and the Holy Spirit got a hold of him. And through allowing him to see God's word and how to rebuke the enemy, quoting scripture and stating the name of Jesus, Something happened in his life. God saved him not once, not twice, but three times from cancer. And the man has gone around the, the whole state telling his testimony, proclaiming the name of Jesus over and over and over again because he was convinced. As we conclude this morning, how strong is your foundation? How convinced are you that this is true? I think that there's so many people, even in our church today, that are not convinced that this is 100% true and therefore so struggle with their obedience to God because they're not sure if it's true. I think that there's probably even some here that because you're not sure that this is true, you haven't quite yet been able to give your life to Jesus because you're not sure if this is true. And if this isn't true, then how can what Jesus said be true? How firm is your foundation? As we conclude... Maybe some of you need to come down and you need to talk a little bit more about the reliability of God's word and, and you don't want to wait for two weeks. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus and this is the very thing that has been holding you back because you're not sure. Maybe there's others of you that you just need to make a commitment that this week I'm going to dive in to study the reliability of the scriptures like never before so that my faith and my foundation can be strong and that my faith can increase exponentially. Maybe some of you, maybe some of you have been searching for a church You've been searching for a Bible-believing, total inerrancy, Word of God preaching church. And maybe God's saying it's time for you to join this body of believers because we believe in all of this. We're not going to preach some of it. We're going to preach all of it. We believe that it is God's Word. We believe this gives us directions for life and that we don't have a choice but to follow. Not any of it, just parts of it, but all of it pray that this morning you would respond in the way that the Holy Spirit is pushing you and encouraging you to respond. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning, and God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is true. I thank you that you have blessed us with the opportunity to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that it is 100% truth, and Lord, that our faith can be firm. God, I pray for those that are here this morning that haven't been sure, that they haven't been 100% sure that this is true. Maybe they haven't been sure that 
Everything that you say in your word is true. God, I pray that your spirit would testify with their spirit right now more than any individual could, that your spirit would testify with them and open up their ears and their their understanding so that it, it doesn't just be something that convinces them intellectually, but Lord, as your word even says, it will pierce the heart. God, I pray right now that your spirit would move, it would guide. Lord, if there's people here that you're calling to join a Bible-believing, 100% infallible preaching word of God church, that you would move in their spirit to, to say today's the day. But God, I pray that your spirit would move and that we'd be obedient to yield to what it is you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.